Hey, thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. Here at Reveal, our mission is simple. Find God, find others, and find yourself. For more information, visit us online at revealvineyard.com. With the month of August, we're firing up our regroup promotions. And if you go to our website at revealvineyard.com slash regroups, you will see our latest group launch, which uh, will actually launch in September. And what we believe is that uh, the greatest spiritual growth that you will experience and the transformation that you will experience will happen uh, more in circles than it will in rows. And so while we hope that you enjoy the Sunday experience, uh, it is better if you have people in your life that you can sit around uh, in a circle with, look eye to eye, that they would encourage you, you can encourage them. In my own life, I've seen it time and time again, the most spiritual growth I've had has not occurred on Sunday morning, but has occurred uh, in groups. So if it is between Sunday morning and you being involved in a group, I would tell you, you will get more bang for your buck being in a group. How can I say that? Well, because I'm really bad at what I do first. And so a group is your best option. Uh, It's just the way that it is. You will have greater life transformation if you are in a group of people. And so uh, make sure you check those out. Next week we'll have some print material to get in your hands that you can look at. They'll all start in September, and uh, hopefully you will be involved in some of those. Well, we've been on a series called Courageous, and it's been a series for those who are in a struggle. Those who uh, are, are in a fight where the odds appear against you, where you face a challenger who is greater than your ability, or you face an obstacle that overshadows you, and you need to step into courage. And we've been looking at characters in the Bible who have faced their fears to see how God brought them from a place of fear to a place of faith. In week one, we looked at a, a little-known character in the Old Testament whose name is Benaiah, who had a reputation of being a great warrior, but his greatest feat, the Bible says, was that he chased down a lion, trapped it in a pit, and then he killed it. And we've been asking the question, who does that? Ordinary people do not chase lions. Ordinary people do not provoke an opponent that can kill them. Ordinary people do not confront an obstacle that can wreck them. And ordinary people do not embrace a challenge that can ruin them. And we said on week one that maybe that is why ordinary people die with such regret. One of the passages, quotes from Mark Batterson that we've been uh, quoting in this series from his book, In a Pit on a Snowy Day with a Lion, says this, that lion chasers are more afraid of lifelong regrets than temporary uncertainty. They don't want to get to the end of their lives and have a million what-if regrets, so they chase lions. In the short term, it increases uncertainty, but in the long run, it reduces regret. And we've asked the question, what lion do you need to chase in your life? What does that look like for you? What stands between you and God's future for you? We've asked the question, what if your greatest blessing blessing lies behind your greatest fear? And what if your future lies behind your greatest obstacle? And in order for you to get there, it will take courage. Week number two, we talked about watching for flames, and we looked at three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who stood courageous in the midst of uh, uh, the hottest, heated-up moments of life. They would not bow to the opposition, they would not bend to a statue, and they would not burn in a furnace. And so this week, we're going to look at not uh, lions or uh, flames, but we're going to look 
at storms. Our passage today is in Matthew 14. We'll put it on the screen and read it to you just so you have a background, uh, 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 some understanding of the backdrop in our story today. Matthew 14, 23 through 31. Now after sending them home, meaning Jesus sent them home, he went up to the hillside by himself to pray. And night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it is a ghost. And Jesus spoke to them at once saying, don't be afraid, he said, take courage, I am here. Then Peter called out to him, said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? We started last week uh, with a passage that I asked you to meditate on that I want us to put up again. It's found in Isaiah I just want to read this, and as I read it, just allow the Spirit of God to speak this over you. When you go through deep waters, God says, I will be with you. And when you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up, and the flames will not consume you. Just take a moment. And however you pray, however you communicate to God, just take a moment and meditate on this passage. Think on it. See what God has to say to you through this passage of the Bible. Holy Spirit, would you speak over us? And some need to hear the words that when you go through deep waters, you will be with us. And when we go through rivers of difficulty, we will not drown. Would you encourage us today? Would you give us courage today? Would you remove just the what-ifs that hang over our minds and cause us to drift towards fear and instead would you lead us towards faith Holy Spirit we invite your presence to transform and to speak over us in Jesus name Amen I want to talk today about taking courage in a crisis I want to talk about men who are courageous in the battle. Women who are brave in calamity. In is the word that we struggle with, I think, because courage before the crisis is good, but if courage is evaporating, if it is fleeting when entering into the storm or entering into the crisis, that courage is of little use. There are a lot of people who are courageous before the fight. Uh, Have have you had any friends that uh, before the fight, they were like, they were there. They're like, 
always flapping their jaw and they got all the right things to say to their opponent and and they say things like you know hold me back and they're as they're you know run jumping into their friend's arms because they know their friends and they're brave before the challenge but when when the fists come out they're kind of like nowhere to be found you got any friends like that uh, I coach high school soccer at Willow Canyon and uh, about three years ago we had a, a, a player on the team who if you didn't know he was the Chuck Norris of the soccer world because he talked the, 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 the best game of anyone I've ever heard of. And if you, if you just take him at his word, he's in scraps all the time. He's constantly fighting. And he's like, coach, that guy that put me in, I will take him, coach. And, and it's just like, he was that kind of player. I'm not exaggerating. He was just, he's always flapping about how, boy, you know, don't step up against me. I'm, you know, I'll put you out and stuff. And so there was the last game of the season, while I don't condone this, the last game of the season, there was a bench-clearing brawl on both sides. And in the middle of the field, you know, both teams are there, and it was caught on someone's uh, phone, as most things are today. And there was one player who was missing from the scrum, and it was said player who was, you know, Chuck Norris of the soccer world. And I remember looking at it thinking, where is this kid? And then out of the corner of the camera... Here comes this player doing an end around, like he's 25 yards away from the scrum. He's full speed sprints and then he runs and he's about 10 feet away from the closest, you know, other player. And he does this kind of like funky karate kick and misses him by at least six feet. And then on film, he just continues running off camera. Well, this got around the team very quickly and no one let this kid live it down because there are those who are brave before the crisis but there's no courage in the storm. It also doesn't do us very good if we're courageous after the crisis. Now, if you've learned something, then there can be benefit in that. But what we want to talk about today is how to be courageous in crisis, in the storm. Not, not before the crisis, not after the crisis, but how we can take courage in the storm. When it is at its worst, when rogue waves can come up against you and flip you upside down, when, when it can pull you under, today someone needs to hear this, this, that your greatest blessing lies on the other side, but you have to make it through your storm. So let's just dig into this passage and see how God might speak to us today. In our narrative, uh, we, we, we need to understand that there was a purpose in the storm, that everything that happens, Jesus has a way of using it as a teaching moment and as a way of maturing our faith. And uh, this storm seems to come out of nowhere, but uh, I think it was designed and I think Jesus set his disciples up for this. It's coming on the backdrop of an incredible miracle where 5,000 people were fed. They're on a ministry high and then something happens in verse 22. It says immediately after this, or after the miracle, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross over to the other side of the lake while he sent people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself and prayed. Night fell and he was there alone. Now this verse may seem insignificant, but I think it tells us something about the situation. I find it interesting that Jesus insisted that his disciples get on the boat and that they go over to the other side. I find it interesting that Jesus separated himself from his disciples. And I find it interesting that he is on a mountaintop alone praying. Because not long before this, they witnessed uh, some fish and some loaves feed 5,000 plus people. 
It just kept coming. The food just kept multiplying. And not only did they see it, but they participated in the miracle. And I think that this is a way of Jesus saying, let's see how your faith responds when all hell breaks loose against you. I think he was looking to see how they respond because it's easy to believe when the fish just keep multiplying. And it's easy to have faith when the bread just keeps reproducing. And it's, it's, it's easy to, to have faith when, when life seems to be moving up and to the right on the grid. But how do we function in the storm is the true tell or indicator of our faith. Sometimes I think is. As Christians, we think that we should avoid the storms, but if it's not for the storm, how do we know if our faith is anchored? Everyone's a fan of God when you're winning. It's easy to be a fan when your team's going to the Super Bowl, but when your team's 1-15, and that's when the truly committed come out and stand by their team. And I think this was a way of Jesus testing their faith. To say, okay, I know what your faith is like when we're feeding thousands, but what is your faith like when I'm not around and the storm comes against you? Because storms are a natural occurrence. No one escapes them. You are either in a storm currently, you have either come out of a storm recently, or you will be in a storm sometime in the future. It might be a relationship storm. It might be a financial storm. It might be a storm that's coming against your family. It might be a storm inside of you that's unseen, that's, that's playing against your emotions. It, it might be a, a storm of, that comes against your children. It might be something you bring upon yourself, or it might be a storm that is unexplainable. The storm does not mean that you've done something wrong necessarily. It does not mean that God is against you. It just means that you are a participant in this thing called life. And so we're going to look at three things out of this story. I want us to look at the presence of God. I want us to look at the provision of God and then look at the power of God. I think possibly the most difficult aspect of any storm or crisis that we go through is when it seems that God is distant. And in our narrative here, the storm comes and Jesus is on his own praying on a mountainside. Look at verse 24 again. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land when a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. It's the presence of God. Jesus makes his appearance, but I want you to notice when. Some of your Bible translations will say that it was the fourth watch of the evening. They have the, the evening divided into to four watches. But it was about 3 a.m. that he makes his appearance. In other words, the disciples are left waiting that entire time in the storm. 11 p.m., no Jesus. 1 a.m., no Jesus. 2 a.m., nothing. 3 a.m., Jesus finally makes his appearing. And here's a thought for us. That the maturing of our faith occurs not only when God shows up, but also in the tension of our waiting. That the maturing of your faith, of my faith, occurs not only when God makes his appearance, but also in the tension of waiting. Because, listen, if you're like me, I hate waiting. I will go out of my way to avoid waiting in traffic. I will leave restaurants to avoid waiting in lines. It's just, and, and yet, biblically, we see this idea of waiting on God. In matters of faith, maturity comes in the tension of waiting. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, he said, take courage, I 
am here. Now, this is your talk back moment, so I want you to get ready to answer this. Look at that passage right there. And I want you to tell me, why did Jesus tell them to take courage? Yeah, I'm old. I'll say it louder. They were afraid? Yep. Look at it again. Another answer. I am here. Now I want us to play on that a little bit. The storm wasn't over. They weren't moved into a sturdier, well-built boat. One reason Jesus says, look, fear has gripped you. And he says, I want you now to not be afraid and to take courage. And here's the reason. Because I am here. God reveals himself to us by several names in the Old Testament. And one of those names is Jehovah Shammah. And what that means is that God is here or God is there. Quite literally, it means that in that place, the presence of God is. In that place, this is how God reveals himself, that in that place, God is there. Meaning, in that place that you find yourself today, Jehovah Shammah, God is there. In that place that frightens you, God is there. In that place that consumes you, God would say, I am there. In that place that presses against you, I am there. In that place that keeps you up at night, wherever you find yourself today, it's Jehovah Shammah, literally means in that place, wherever you need God to be, he says, I am there. And so Jesus says, look, boys, you need to take courage because I am here. Now, it doesn't mean that God's going to reveal himself in the first watch. And he may not reveal himself in the second watch. He may not reveal himself until the final watch when the sky is the darkest and when wind is fierce and he has a way of showing up in my life when I don't think I can take it anymore. But even in that place, he gives us the promise that I am present. You see, you're going to learn something about God when you experience his presence on the fourth watch. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they found the presence of God in the fire, and Daniel found him in the lion's den, and Moses found him on the lamb hiding out and running for his life, and Gideon found him in a wine press, and Elijah found him on a mountaintop exhausted and running in fear, and Abraham found him in a crisis of faith, and Job found him in a season of destruction, and Jonah found him in a fish, and Rahab found him in a military conquest, and the Gadareans found him in the deliverance of demons. In other words, that wherever you might be in that watch, when God shows up, his presence will come and you will never know I will never know how God how good God can be until we experience him in the final watch there are things that you learn about God that you will never learn in church there are things that you experience with God at 3 a.m. when the storm is around you that you will not learn from just reading there is something that happens when God shows up in the final watch And he says, take courage, I am here. Meaning that his presence should be enough to see us through. He says, my presence should be enough for you to deal with this crisis. In other words, when I show up, I will see you through. Here's what he's saying to us today. He's saying, if I am present, I shouldn't have to write the check in order for you to be calm. If my presence goes with you, then I shouldn't have to change the situation before you are anchored. If my presence is there, I I shouldn't have to step in and restore the relationship before you find peace. He's saying, my presence should be enough. When I was younger, my parents would go away for weekends. Uh, Things seem to go bump in the night when your parents aren't home. And 
and uh, I'd be kind of gripped with fear, but something would happen when dad walked into the house. Everything was okay. The situation may have not changed. The noise may have still been there. The, the, The situation may have still been going on, but something happened when father was present. And Jesus is is basically telling us this, that if I'm present, it should change something in your life. Paul says it like this in Romans 8.31. He says that if God is for us, who can be against us? If Jehovah Shammah is there where you need him, then really, who can be against you? Meaning, what trouble can come against you? Ultimately, what, what calamity can sidetrack you from God's best for you? What problem can, 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 can keep God out of your life? Or what boss or what coworker or what terror or what man or what woman or what crisis or what curse or what demon or what enemy or what lion or what king? If God is for you, Paul says, what else do you have to worry about? Romans talks about that, uh, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. And I think we've taken this out of context a little bit. And we, we try to say that any situation that is occurring right now, that God's going to take that situation and use it specifically for good in that situation. And I think that passage needs to be interpreted on a broader scale, something like this. That, that what can come against you that can keep God's good intentions from you for you from being carried out? Meaning that even in the storm of life, God's plan for you will still come through it may not be that that situation you may never look at it and say god i'm really glad that i was you know divorced or or my spouse passed away or something that may always be a source of pain but what what the bible teaches is that even through the storm of life nothing can keep us from god's good intentions for us and that one day we reap them completely and so peter is is understanding this presence of god that is there. And the presence of God moved Peter to ask for the provision of God. And Peter makes a bold request in verse 28. He says, Then Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, then tell me to come to you walking on the water. In other words, listen, if your presence is here, then make provision for me to do what you're doing. And this is the provision of God, him providing a way even in the midst of our storm. And we see it throughout the biblical text. And I wonder if Peter fully understood what he was asking. Peter had a reputation of running his mouth off. He had a reputation of speaking first and thinking later. And I wonder if he saw Jesus. Everyone thought it was a ghost. Jesus said, take courage in his eye. And Peter's like, hey, if it's really you, then tell me to come to you. And Jesus, in a, maybe an answer that shocked him, says, yes, come. And I got to wonder if Peter was like, oh, darn it. I really wasn't expecting that one. And so he says, look, if it's you, then tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, yes. He's like, great idea, Pete. Come on. And so Peter went over the side of the boat and he walked on the water to Jesus. Now, Peter's faith was stirred by the presence of God and caused him to request for the provision of God. And Peter steps out on the water and he floats. He's defying logic. He doesn't even know how it's happening, but he's not being consumed. None of it makes sense. All he knows is that God is providing a way. Does anyone have a testimony of the provision of God where God did something in your life that just didn't make sense to you? I was telling someone uh, at lunch this or someone uh, this week about, uh, you know, when when we stepped into the ministry, we're still not sure how we made it. We were living above budgets. 
I mean, it didn't make any sense on paper. I'm not even sure how we survived. I'm not sure how my kids made it with medication and shoes. We look back on that season of life and we're like, I don't even know. It was the provision of God. Do you have a story of God providing when it just didn't make sense? When, when you're making it, but you don't really know how. And maybe you look back on your life and you say, you know what? With all that I've done, I've broken every rule. I shouldn't even be alive. Do you have any testimony of, of, of the provision of God of saying, I'm not sure how my marriage made it, but it did. I, I'm not sure how my children turned out so blessed when I was just winging it. I didn't know what I was doing. It was just a provision of God. I don't know how I was able to forgive, but somehow something supernatural in me allowed me to step across the threshold of forgiveness. It wasn't me, just that something God provided it in me. Maybe your story is, I don't know why I haven't been consumed by hatred and bitterness, and I don't know why I survived that ordeal. It, it should have killed me, and yet I'm still going, and in some ways it's even made me stronger. I'm not sure why I didn't have a nervous breakdown. It, it goes above and beyond what I can understand, but it's the provision of God that allows you to do what you shouldn't be able to do. And that is the God that we still serve today. A provision-making God that will allow you to do what you normally should not be able to do. And Peter is walking on water. He's doing the impossible. I don't suggest you try this. If it works for you, get it on YouTube. We'll all make some money on it. So Peter drops over the boat. And he's doing the impossible, but then there's a disturbance in the force in verse 29. He says, so Peter went over the side of the boat, walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong winds and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Now, Peter gets a bad rap and we, you know, say he was weak and easily distracted and he was lacking faith. But we're talking about Peter today because he was the only one in the boat that was bold enough to get out of the boat. There's not a church in America who's talking about Andrew, safe, play it safe Andrew, who stayed in the boat and did nothing. So, you know, let's give Peter some props there. Peter defies logic and then something happens. He remembers that he's human. And now he's alternating between spirit and flesh, between faith and fear. And this is, we all go through this. And his mind begins to be consumed with the what ifs and what if the next wave swallows me and what if I sink and what if I get out too far halfway between Jesus and halfway between the boat and I am swallowed whole. And, and have you ever had the what ifs just kind of swallow you up? Have you ever been in the storm of life and the what ifs just overwhelmed you? The what if we don't get back together and what if we lose the house and what if the economy drops and what if he doesn't stay and what if the kids mess up and what if my faith fluctuates and what if I don't pray enough or fast enough or read the Bible enough or, or what if people are looking at me and what if I begin to sink? I've been consumed by the what ifs before. We're trying to go into this building uh, right now, and man, the what ifs just circulate around me. Uh, you know, especially in the summertime when attendance is down, and on like July 4th weekend, I'm looking at attendance, and the what ifs are like, what if you go into this building and nobody shows up? I mean, you know, it's just like triggering. How do we function when the what ifs are firing on all cylinders? Peter recognized the presence of God. He experienced the provision of God, and while he's going under, he experiences the power of God. Now, there's been a movement within the Christian uh, West that has told us that the power of God is available for people of great faith. 
Those who have done right, the power of God is available. Those who have followed the scripts, those who have given their seed money and those who have prayed the right prayer. And I've heard taught about the power of God for strong people and uh, the, the sturdy and the immovable people of faith. And I've heard it taught the power of God for those who exercise their faith and those through the confession of their mouth proclaim their blessing. And there's some truth in all of that. And I've, I, I've heard the, about the power of God for those who are going up. But what about the power of God for those who are going down? Because everyone's willing to invest in a company that is going up. And yet we see biblically, time and time again, God investing in those who are going down. And it's remarkable to me. I mean, I could see God giving his power for those who are standing upright and those who are sturdy and robust in faith. But what about when I'm overrun with fear or when I'm weak or I'm tired or I'm out of gas or I'm just going through the motions and... What if I don't pray enough or read enough? And what if I doubt? And Isaiah gives us this beautiful picture of the power of God. And he says, do you not know? And have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? His understanding is inscrutable and he gives strength, not to the strong, but to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. And though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble stumble badly, yet those who wait, remember the maturing of our faith occurs not only when God shows up in the storm, but also in the tension of waiting. Yet for those who wait on the Lord, they will gain new strength. And they will mount up with wings as eagles and they will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. This is the power of God available not only when you're going up, but when you are going down. And when the storm comes against you and you failed the test, and when your faith was shaken and you're starting to go down, it's not just the presence of God or the provision of God, but the power of God to rescue. And Peter cries out in verse 30, But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. And he shouted out, save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. He does what he always does. He steps in with power. The power to pull you out. The power to pull you up. The power to pull you on. The power to pull you in. It's just who he is and it's what he does. And to you who lack might, he increases power. See, this is the God that we serve. And when, when, we, when, when, when we are weak, we shy away from him and we're like, well, God, I'll, I'll reapproach you when I'm strong. And God said, you're missing it. Come to me when you're weak and come to me when you're tired and come to me when the, with the what ifs and come to me when you doubt and come to me when you're almost under and the only thing you can do is reach up a hand and cry, save me, and I will rescue you. That's the beauty of our God. That he's not a God for just the up and comers, but he's a God for the down and outers. He's not just a God for those who have it all together, but those who are totally fragmented and lost. Look how our story ends. Verse 32. When they climbed back into the boat. I get this picture of, of, of Jesus, like comes over, takes Peter out, and, and, and the waves don't stop, the storm didn't cease, it's all going on, and they just kind of stroll through the storm back to the boat. 
I don't know how it happened. I don't know if Jesus carried him. I don't know if he had his arm around him and maybe they were holding hands. That wouldn't be my thing necessarily, but maybe they're holding hands going back to the boat. And somehow they're, they're walking through the storm and it's a metaphor of how God sees us through. And today, whatever your storm is, I believe God wants to walk you through that storm. And if the only thing that you use your faith for is to ask that the storms will cease, how do you really know if your faith has grown unless you walk through the storm and come out on the other side? And then it ends with this last verse. When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. All of us want to get to the point in life when the wind stops. And oftentimes we want the provision of God and we want the power of God, but we neglect the presence of God. You see, the, the power and the provision of God isn't going to come if, 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 if you're like, well, God, I don't want your, your presence. I just want the things that help me out. And God's like, well, you, you kind of put the cart before the horse here. We all want to get to the point of where the wind stops, but it starts with recognizing and inviting and embracing the presence of God in our lives among us. And out of the presence of God is the provision of God. Now the provision of God is the power of God. Even when you're going under. And then eventually, the wind stopped. That's the good news. The bad news is, at some point, there was another storm. Because this is the tension that we live in. One day, all storms will cease. When God says, I will reset everything back to my original intention. And when that happens, you have no more storms. You have no more crisis. There are no more flames that lick at your heels. There there, there are no more lions in your life. And until that moment comes, if you are going to navigate through this, you will need to be courageous. But your courage does not come on your own. Your courage uh, is there because of Jehovah Shammah in that place God is present someone needs to hear that that in that place where you find yourself today in the darkest part of your life when the storm is at its worst in that place Jehovah Shammah is there pray with me Father, I don't know who needs to hear that word, but somebody needs to. And for someone, it is stirring around in them. And, and the, the excitement over uh, the possibility even that you are present is, is just stirring in them. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and your presence would rest. Rest on those who are in the storm and those who are in the crisis and those who are in the struggle. And let, let them feel the presence of God. Just invite God's presence upon you. Just ask him to make himself known. Hear the whisper of God that says, take courage because I am here. Lord, forgive us for wanting the provision and the power of God and neglecting the presence of God, but we invite the presence of God to rest and rule upon us, to reign over us. 
I pray for courage and for renewed strength, renewed vigor upon those of us that are weak and tired and going under. And I pray for the truth of Isaiah to come upon us. That you give strength to the weary and to he or she who lacks might, you increase power. And we pray for that. That we would mount up with wings as eagles and we would run and not become tired and we would walk and not become weary. That we would make it through to the other side. Would you stir it in us today? Some of us, maybe the storm is too intense and you need to speak with someone. and Maybe you need counseling or just someone to listen to you. And I want to make our church available to you for that. If you contact myself or one of the pastors, we'll make arrangements to help you in your darkest time. I bless you, Reveal, to experience the presence of God today and this week. I bless you to experience the provision of God in whatever it is that is needed and that you would experience the power of God to reach out and rescue you. I bless you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Listen, we'll have some people down there who would like to pray for you if you have anything we can pray for you about. Don't forget, we have our next class that's going to start at uh, 1215. Uh, We'd love to have you come out to that if you're interested. God bless you. We will see you next week.